everybody and welcome to the EC Method. I am one of your coaches, Chloe Maidley. And I am your other coach, Emma Story Gordon. Our goal at the EC Method is to encourage, educate and empower you to get the results that you've always wanted. Listen to our weekly podcasts, go to our website, theecmethod.co.uk or simply follow us on Instagram to get more information. So what did you have? So I have, because I don't know if anyone's picked up on the fact that I'm like, <laughs> should we just like, what so I have, because I don't know if anyone. Okay, right, go ahead. I think we should probably just note, like, I'm aware that half, <laughs> half my face is down. Wait, you can't really tell. You can when oh, I. Oh, no, you can a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I went to the dentist this morning. I. Like I was going to say, I don't know if anyone can tell that I'm a super aggressive person. <laughs> I brush my teeth really aggressively. So as a result of that, I have receding gums. Like I'm literally brushing my teeth away. I'm the angry wave. <laughs> have you ever seen that meme? It's like, how stressed are you? And then like someone's toothbrush is just like all the bristles have gone. <laughs> That's me. So my dentist for years has been like, you have to stop. Like you are literally, put, and I I try and then I just fall back into old habits and I just forget. I just get a real kick out of really hard brushing my teeth. I do it the same way when I write with a pen and paper, like often I'll give myself like a little graze on my fingers because the way that I grip and push the pen and like I've been known to tear paper. I'm just completely insane. Anyway, so... I went back I didn't I didn't go to the dentist for like well over a year and then I was like I should probably go get a checkup because my my weirdly my teeth are getting more sensitive I wonder why went back and he was like yeah it's, he so he gave me eight fillings but they're not like tooth fillings they're like like gummed tooth like fillings, oh. fillings is probably more appropriate but like my whole mouth it's <laughs> like <laughs> oh no was it sore was it okay I mean, it's uh, dentistry is shit, isn't it? He actually, you know what he said to me? He was like, you're like my bravest patient. He was like, because he stops every few minutes and he's like, are you okay? And I'm always like, yeah, fine, whatever, just get on with it. And he, and I was like, but if you can't feel it, I was like, why do people, do people feel it? And I started to freak out about it. I was like, does that happen? And he's like, no, but people don't like it. You know, it's machinery in your mouth. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I just get on with it. I'm just a bit like, just get it done. I don't want to think about it. Just, just get it done. Yeah, yeah, I feel a bit the same. But I guess if they... They didn't need to drill or anything, did they? Well, yeah, he was like, he got in, so my back tooth, yeah, he like, he got into one of them. But he said that like a lot of people freak out so much that they request to be put under general anesthetic just for like a filling. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so happy that I don't have that fear because that would be shit. Yeah, I think with that, like you have to just get to a point of like, don't try and control anything because you can't. No, I'm just like, get on with it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Just do Mm -hmm. it um but yeah anyway how's your day going well not yeah I mean better than that I would say yeah yeah it's been busy but yeah it's not I haven't had any tooth surgery any dentistry uh although I'm the same like I grind my teeth so much have to wear a mouth guard at at night Does does it work yeah yeah and actually when so when I first went to the dentist and he was like you really need to start wearing one I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just get one from Amazon, right? <laughs> Standard me. Because he was like, yeah, we can get you one fitted. It's 150 pounds. I was like, 150 pounds? <laughs> no. I'll make my own. Thanks, though. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just stick a bit of, I don't know, like cardboard in between my mouth. It'll be fine. Um, so anyway, I got one from Amazon and it's like, it's like, it must be like, you know, like James's mouth guards for rugby yeah. stuff. It's like, you yeah. just mold, you put it in hot water and then it like molds to your mouth. But I didn't, and then I just used that for ages, right? It wasn't particularly comfortable at all. And then I got one made and I was like, oh my God, this oh. is like, you can talk with it in, like, it's just like having Invisalign. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like it's actually fitted to your teeth. I was like, okay, now I see why you thought that would be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That you That's the thing, like, I'm the same as well. I'm just more like, you know, now everything's so easy at your fingertips, like you say with Amazon and everything. You're like, oh yeah, no, whatever. I'll, I, I'm, I'll find something. I'll find, I'll find the alternative of the ridiculously expensive thing you're asking for. But nine times out of ten, when you do actually go for the expensive, you realize the difference, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was using like a different one of those every like month or something, and this one like I've had for months and months and months. That's it. That's it. Sometimes it costs more money for a reason. Yeah, um, buy cheap, buy twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's starting to really hurt it's really uncool that like I still can't move my mouth properly but it's starting to really hurt <laughs> and also then you can't eat I mean I definitely didn't already I and I said to James as soon as I finished my food I shouldn't have eaten that like I'm pretty sure I bit my tongue <laughs> <laughs> anyway do we have anything on the live um we've got Ollie saying this episode is like pulling teeth and then Bruce is just saying being cheap is expensive and that is definitely true that's a very good good point especially with certain things I think you can get away with it with some things but not yeah. with dentistry not with dental health care no do you know what terrifies me and I don't know enough about dentistry to know like what goes on here but I've seen like horror stories of people that have gone to like Turkey or somewhere to get their teeth done and they've literally just wrecked their teeth and now they've got like yeah they've got these big fake ones and when they're in I guess it looks okay kind of but like they've just like there's only like the tiny little bit of tooth left underneath that and they just stick on like fake ones then I wonder what will happen as they age like is that surely like if we could just have massive fake teeth like that like we 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 already would or why would you ever go and get like a, a filling it's a look isn't it and I never understood it like that whole kind of like Essex and that's not me being like it's true like that it's mm-hmm. it, like you go to Essex it's like a really common thing there that whole like is it what are they like dentures and the, the added veneer yeah veneers and it's just like but it's but it's the way also they kind of come out they've like they like I don't know it's weird it's a it's a look and it's a look that obviously caught fire and people love but I never really got it and like I would love to whiten my teeth, but I'd never get like I don't really understand it. Um, no, me neither. I, and I'm like, is it bad to whiten your teeth because it takes the enamel off, or can you do it in a safe way? That by the way, bet there's dentists listening to this being like, what the? I'm friends on Instagram with like the fittest dentist ever, and she goes on to like this morning all the time, and she like talks about dentistry, and she like she's she's done a couple of my friends' teeth um and she's brilliant she's like us she goes on there and they were asking her about like charcoal toothpaste and she was like utter nonsense (laughs) and I was like I love you she just doesn't care she like goes for it and I'm like I love her she's amazing um but I think 
it is one of those things you should spend money on. I mean, I I tried to get uh, an appointment on with my NHS dentist and it was just not happening. It just was and I was like, you know what? I'll just go to my parents' dentist who's private and I was like, I'll just pay the money. And yes, it's expensive, but like it's one of those things you've just got to keep on top of it and spend the money sometimes. Mm. I also don't not not to go too much into dentistry, but I don't really understand it now because mine is NHS, but now I'm private for some reason with that like and it doesn't cost me very much but it does cost me something I don't know I don't understand it either uh, I don't know weird um anyway also the stuff that you can get like so you can get like a normal filling on the NHS but if you want a white one you have to pay yeah. but like the difference is like <laughs> unbelievable it's like yeah you can get this and you have to pay like a nominal eight pounds or you can get this and it's 300 pounds you're like oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's no joke how expensive it is. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, ridi- ridi- like, you have to have money to keep going back to a private dentist. Like, I was like, this is a, this is a one-off for me. But yeah, I'm glad I did it, because the filling, one of the teeth, one of them did need a filling. That's the one he, like, drilled really deep into. But it looks great. Like, you can't even tell. It's oh, good. good. Great. Okay. Um, Do we have any questions? <laughs> or should we just continue talking about <laughs> dentistry of which we know nothing about yeah i know well it's exciting watching my mouth not move okay so vicky elizabeth i'm going to answer this question for you in two two words vicky barbell hip thrusts i am struggling big time with the bar on my hips i am so bruised i use the pad oh okay maybe i don't and roll my jumper up to try and make it more comfortable but it's still so painful you need a new pad because that shouldn't happen what am I doing wrong? I've tried the pos- to position the bar differently, but it just hurts. Will it get easier or am I being a big fanny? You don't have a good pad. Is that what she said? Yeah. <laughs> big fanny. Um, the, the bar pad you've had is is crap. It's a piece of crap, basically. You need to go on Amazon, lol. Um, and, the, and you need to make sure that you get a nice, long, thick bar pad. Ideally one that has an actual... Um, like an actual gap from from start to finish of the thing because the ones that you velcro round typically the the foam underneath will move apart and because it's all wrapped around it can move the the back the pad itself can can change position where it is on the bar without you even realizing it end up across your hips where the foam is then pushed back and the bar is basically only protected by like a tiny piece of material and it's digging into your hips that happens a lot so get a real foam bar pad without any covering, without any Velcro to tie it shut so that you can visibly see when it is where you want it to be and that it not at any point is it going to kind of fool you into thinking it's protecting you when it's not. Um, but you need a new pad. Once you do that, it absolutely, categorically should not hurt whatsoever. Nothing to add. Okay. Nikki Carter. Hi, ladies. I've noticed that since I moved to maintenance and I've increased my calories, that I'm having a much harder time sticking to them. Is this common? I think that although I know it's only a small increase, really, probably only a sandwich worth, um, I may have overestimated what I can eat in the day to allow dinner to be less accurate, if that makes any sense. I've already increased from 60.5 to 61.9 in four days, although I know that that can't be fat and it's likely just added food volume. And having written it down, it isn't that big of a jump anyway. What are your thoughts, please? And thank you, Emma. I'll let you lead off on that. So it's only been four days and she feels hungrier. Is that what she's saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
four days, she's really stuck into, uh, sorry, struggling to stick to her calories. And she's seen the scale jump up 1.4 kg in four days. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably food choices. Like I would have a look at what you were eating before versus what you're eating now, because let's say you increased by 200 calories, but if you've changed all your food choices, trust me, 1600 calories can be more satiating than 1800. If your 1600 was kind of like full of, fruit and veg and protein and high volume food and you were like really focused around that and even like the structure of your meals and the timings of your meals and having a little bit more discipline around them way easier than 1800 without discipline even though technically you're eating more right so maybe you think oh well I'm eating more calories I shouldn't be as hungry but it doesn't always look like that so I would look at your food choices I would also say like hey it's only been four days literally could be anything it also could be that I don't know like anything else could be going on for example it's also the week before your period or you've also started walking more or it's colder or there are other things impacting your hunger so don't always just assume that it's definitely um the increase in calories or the change but it's most likely when we see this in maintenance it's often food choices Mm. yeah I agree with all of that I was going to say the same thing first of all let's just take a consideration of hormones that sorry so tough that while it is um normal to see your weight spike a little bit and to feel hungrier for reasons i'll go into a second when you do increase your calories um sorry these things are also indications that you're hormonal especially um 1.4 kg as a spike in the same kind of four day period, it's quite high. And I, it would indicate to me that maybe, and it's not body fat, by the way, that's not to scare you. It's just an acknowledgement that it is quite a high spike. It would indicate to me that maybe you are hormonal. Um, so there's that. Second thing, I agree with Emma. A lot of the time when people think, okay, I can increase my calories, they get a bit more um, kind of excited food choices, which, you know, ideally we'd want you to, to have things you love in your fat loss phase anyway, but yeah, definitely coming up into maintenance. But sometimes that comes at the expense of the high fiber, high volume, high protein meals, which are going to be more satiating throughout the day. And what a nicer thing to do would be to kind of have really similar, you know, two of your three meals or three of your four meals a day to what they were in fat loss. And then have a bit more freedom with your dinner. Mostly it's dinner that people want to play around with, but whatever you choose, you choose. Um, Have a bit more freedom with your dinner or have a bit more freedom with the the kind of the incidental foods around your meals. Like, you know, you get to have another snack or two or you get to have another glass of wine before bed, whatever it is. Um, And then we can slowly start to kind of increase from there if we feel like you um, are still losing or a lot of the time clients will find when they get to that phase that they start to look leaner even though their weight stays the same. And we talk about um, the scales not being an acute measure of fat loss once you're quite lean anyway. And that can happen a lot. And that's also an indication it's time to increase calories again. And it's a good idea too, because now we talk about the psychological hunger. You're going to be really, really hungry and not necessarily know why because the scale is the kind of where they should be for maintenance, but actually you could be eating one, two, 300 calories more. You're just not aware of it because you're going on what the scales are saying. So that's another one. Um, And also just the psychological standpoint of, oh, wow, I've come up to maintenance now and how that can kind of flick another switch in your head of like, now I want to eat all the food. Now I'm out of fat loss. Now it's over. So it really is a process and it takes time and it might be that we can increase calories beyond where they are now. So ideally, I'd really like you to stay on for the next round and to keep us posted with this, how much you weigh, uh, maybe some pictures would be good every few weeks, um, what calories you're on and expenditure still matters as well. So we'd need to know that too.
Excellent answer. Also on that note, which just reminded me is what I'm writing here, is I will post the link to sign up for grads for the next round straight after this. Clothes just dribbled everywhere. And yeah, please use that link. One, because it's slightly cheaper because you're grads. And two, because then you go in the right place and it takes me a ton of time to move people that don't use the right link. So now there's an incentive that it's also cheaper. Uh, and, and you're being nicer to Emma, which I don't think you need more of an incentive because I've never met such a hardworking coach in all my days. Oh, thanks. Okay, Liz. Hi, lovelies. Sorry to ask again about my stupid so shoulder injury. If I'm only able to do lower body, should I just do leg work, the leg workout three times a week? Or would that be too much? I could alter alternate between week one to four and four to eight workouts, but not sure if that would make any difference. Thanks. So, I would alternate because otherwise you'll get pretty bored. Yeah, alternate. But also, Liz, like I say, it's it's tricky with shoulder because obviously there's three main shoulder muscles and when you, whether you're doing specifically shoulders or chest or back, <laughs> often one of them is being incorporated into the lift. Other than bicep curl, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking and I'm coming up a little bit empty about one where I know there's not going to be any shoulder movement. However, that doesn't necessarily mean, because I don't know exactly what your injury is or, or where you're really feeling it, that if you don't very slowly walk through all the upper body exercises unweighted, just the range of motion, see what hurts, see what doesn't, then you're going to pretty easily, and then go into the gym and do with a really lightweight, you're going to know what you can and can't do. So I would really encourage you to do that and then to edit the workouts accordingly for you. Again, we have this all the time. It might sound like lazy coaching. We're not in your body. We don't know. We're also not physios. And even if we were, we're not in person treating you. So this is the best we can do. Um, but yeah, you should be pretty sweet to do lower body and core. Um, and like I say, potentially some upper body stuff too. So definitely, definitely go through that. Agree. Okay, Ollie, um, I did your seated cable lap pull you posted on Instagram last night, this morning. Felt it in my lats a lot more. Can I do these instead of the standard lap pull downs when scheduled in your workouts? No, mainly because you can't really do that that heavy because you're not like you're literally just sitting on the floor. So if you're ever lifting anywhere near your body weight, it won't work because you'll lift yourself up instead of pulling the weight down. Um, so it's not good for going heavy. What it is good for, and I normally do higher reps on it, is getting a really good squeeze. So I would do it, you could do it before to make sure you're engaging your lats as a bit of a kind of warm up, or you could add it in at a different point, but it wouldn't be, to me, it's not an alternative to lat pull. It would be like an addition to. Um, okay, Roots. Hi, out of interest, how much truth is there in these? One, in being able to raise your calories higher and higher while still training and quote unquote, retain your metabolism, i.e. reverse diet up to 2,500 calories. Let's start with that. Is this Ruth, Ruth Suto? No, Mulhern. I was reading Ruth, another Ruth's comment. Um, right, sorry, read it again to me. Out of interest, how much truth is there in these? One in being able to raise your calories higher and higher while still training and retrain your metabolism, i.e. reverse it to get up to 2,500 calories. Don't know why that's so specific, but as an example. 
Um, okay, so with reverse dieting, um, there's a million and one reasons why it's a good idea to do rather than to just finish your fat loss phase and be like, mm, I presume that my calorie, my maintenance calories are 22. Like, let's say you finish your fat loss phase at 1700 calories. And then you finish your fat loss phase and you say, I presume that my maintenance calories are 2200. So I'm going to jump to that. The reason why that's um, not a great idea is because it is just that it's presumption you don't necessarily know yet and you don't you're not necessarily um uh you haven't trialed it out basically and what can happen is that even if all of your activity stays the same um but you up your calories is that you will regain body fat in a, in a surplus that's high enough pretty quickly um really what we want to do even if going into a surplus and regaining muscle mass is the goal is you want to kind of stay i would say personally um and also professionally you want to stay no more than like kind of five percent plus of what your maintenance calories would be so a good reason to reverse diet is so that we can watch what your body is doing on route with an added five to ten percent of more calories every fortnight for example is a nice kind of period to watch it by watch what your body is doing um watch what your activity is doing and we can increase it on route. And the reason why I now talk about um, your activity is because where metabolism comes into play in the reverse dieting debate is that once you start to increase your calories in, that's your energy in, you may very well find that without even trying your energy out, and this is your metabolism, your energy out then starts to ramp up as well. And this is where the argument that if you increase your calories, you might find that you can actually go higher than your predicted maintenance than you predicted you would be, because actually your expenditure, now that you're adding in more calories, is also going up. So this is where the kind of really wrong and badly worded retrain your metabolism, which I actually haven't heard before, but I know what you're talking about, um, misguided retrain your metabolism is coming from. It's more that as you start to increase your energy in, you quite naturally and organically, will, you can find, it doesn't happen for everybody, that your energy out will start to increase too. And that means we can go higher and higher with calories. And it's better to do it progressively like that instead of jumping in at the deep end because you might overshoot it and within two weeks, you've regained two and a half pounds of body fat. So these are the arguments for and against. However, the whole kind of magic wand stick of you should reverse diet because I can get you up to 3,500 and you'll look better than ever is like nonsense. So... <laughs> I think that was an amazing explanation. I think the, yeah, like you probably will move more when you eat more calories, but the point here is it probably doesn't go higher and higher and higher, right? Unless you purposely add more and more and more cardio or move more and more, add more and more steps or something. But yeah, as we know, like when you diet down habitually, your body will try to preserve as much energy as possible by reducing your energy output. So if we didn't track your steps or anything, most people will naturally do less steps as they reduce their calories, right? Even if they don't really think about it. And then the reverse of that happens when you increase your calories. Hmm. Um, but I, and I think I totally agree with everything you've just said, but I think what, partly because the term reverse dieting is now like, what most people mean is like somehow changing your metabolism or ramping up your metabolism like if you say we're going to increase your calories slowly so that we don't overshoot I'm like yeah that's that makes a lot of sense mm. but not to the point of like some people are like yeah you need to reverse diet by like 50 calories a week it's just stupid right you're just prolonging your deficit because however long you're below your maintenance calories you're still in a deficit if you've come to the end of your diet you don't have more fat to lose and you want to be at maintenance 
we do want to get you there as quickly as possible mm. we just also know that there's the behavioral element and the psychological element and it's better maybe to be like mm, I think your calories are probably 2000 but let's start you at like 1850 or 1900 and then we can slowly increase with you and as you potentially start moving more we then we can increase again if needed um but then on the flip side of that some people are like yeah when I was dieting I really made an effort to get 12,000 steps a day but now I'm at maintenance realistically that was taking up quite a lot of my life and I think it would be easier for me to do consistently 10,000 steps a day so then you've got to think okay my expenditures actually come down a little bit so it's always like a bit of a rough estimate but the whole point is we will try and help you find your maintenance needs and then they're not set either like if you change your job and it's no longer as active or I don't know like you you build a load of muscle like that will have a small impact on your metabolism but way less than what most people are claiming here of like oh yes I just kept reverse dieting and then I'm like all the way up to 3,000 calories it's like you're either not or you expend 3,000 calories because you're mega active like that's that's all there is to it yeah I love the um I love the point that Emma made as well about um uh oh fuck and then I was like I love the point and then the point just completely fell out of my head um oh yeah about your intake and your expenditure being reflective of one another at different points in your life so I did a uh, a shout out to a client of mine today who's, who's been a client for a really long time who started on EC actually and she has been had a body recomp goal since she's been with me which is a while like we're talking like a couple of years here um and I actually have had loads of dms people being like what were her calories for recomp what were first of all not relevant to anyone else what her calories are for recomp anyone at all it's relevant to me and her and that's it and it's different for everyone Second of all, they changed. They constantly changed and fluctuated based on what she had going on that week, that month, whatever it was. Um, and they changed so that I could keep, and, and, and the beauty of a body recomp goal is it is, it's, it's harder psychologically because it's such a long schlock, but it's easier because you can be a little bit more fluid with it. Um, but they changed depending on what she had going on in her life. And, and um, I think, I do think, and I'd, I'd like to make this point here, like re coming up to maintenance, reverse dieting, fat loss phases. I think a lot of people on the EC method are here, whether or not they, they know it or not, with a body recomp goal, is in they don't have a shit ton of fat to lose, um, you know, and, and they're not really lean and looking to gain a shit ton of muscle. There are a lot of people who are somewhere in this weird kind of middle bracket of, I want to gain muscle mass and I want to lose like a little bit of fat or, you know, whatever it is. And if that's the case, the best bet for you and the most enjoyment you're going to get out of your life while you change your body for the rest of your life is a long-term body recomp goal. But it's um, it's definitely something that requires patience and and like I said, small, consistent, committed effort. Mm -hmm. I came up with a great analogy yesterday. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. It was about being impatient with fat loss and how the reason that a lot of people struggle with impatience is because they feel like they're waiting for something, right? Whereas with other stuff you're waiting for in your life, like you just get busy doing something else. And the example I use is like, you wouldn't put a baked potato in the oven and then just sit and watch it and be yeah. like, oh, is it cooked? Like it would take forever, right? The whole thing, like a watch <laughs> kettle never boils. Yeah. But you'd go off and you'd do something else and you come back and be like, oh, it's ready. Same with your fat loss goals. It's like, yeah. sure, create a bit of a deficit, live your life. And then you don't have to be impatient because you're not waiting for anything. It's just happening. Like if you planted a tree, you wouldn't be like, oh, how annoying that it's taking so long to grow. You'd be like, trees take time to grow. Like 
that's a fact of life. And I think it's the difference between acknowledging and accepting that things take time and genuinely it's you that is allowing yourself to be impatient like it is a choice to be impatient or not or just to say cool I know that's going to take some time I know I just need to tick off these boxes and I'll get on with the rest of my life while I'm doing that it's such a different approach I love this analogy it's so good and it's so true and I always say we want to you know you have this goal fat loss okay cool so you know do do what we tell you to do and then get the fuck on with your life like, you know, yeah. get up, go to your, do your gym gym workout that morning, have fun with it, enjoy it. It's a tiny portion of your day. Like, give it your all, enjoy it. Find the joy in this one thing that's going to take 45 minutes and then it's done, you know, for the next, you know, I don't know, 24 hours. Um, and then get the fuck on with your day. Like, you know, eat your, your food that you enjoy, that you like, that, you know, so make you feel satiated. It's okay, now get on with it. Um, Hyper-focusing on anything, anything at all, is going to make you go insane. Mm-hmm. Okay, next part of this. Um, if you feel stalled, it's something better to reset and eat at maintenance for a few months and then a deficit will be more effective the next time. Basically, no. I think this is basically diet break, right? Diet break, yeah. No, 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 no. It, you're not going to, well, okay, taking into account the last thing that, that we've just talked about, re-increasing your calories, potentially increasing your expenditure. However, and that's the argument of the people that basically say that if you have a diet break, you're all of a sudden going to ramp up your metabolism and you're going to start losing again. Um, Or when you go back into fat loss, it'll be more effective. That's not true either, because if you increase your intake and then your expenditure increases as well, you're not going to continue to see fat loss. It's not going to happen like that. Um, So the, the, the beauty of a refeed day and a diet break, and I'm a big fan of both as a coach, um, is a psychological break. Often we'll have clients who've been in fat loss for a few months and still aren't quite where they want to be. And they're starting to get dieting fatigue. And what happens when you start to get dieting fatigue? You start to hit the fuck it bucket. So as a coach, it's a really good idea that you keep an eye on the client. And every, I would say every two plus weeks, you offer them refeed days, diet breaks, whatever. Um, because as long as your period of time, let's just look at it as a month, well, we can do it in, in any context. As long as your period of time in the deficit exceeds your period of time at maintenance, you're still going to be in a deficit overall. Now, it might be slower slower acting because you're having maintenance days, obviously, so you're kind of countering it a little. But again, if it exceeds it, then you are going to be in fat loss overall. And then what you get is, and refeed days are great for people who want to have a great weekend. You know, we talk about banking calories a lot, but for some people, just coming up by two, 300 calories on a weekend, Saturday and Sunday is enough. That's all they need, and it gives them a bit more freedom, and they enjoy it. But five days of the week, they spend in the deficit. That's great. Now, in terms of taking time out for a diet break, that would look like longer. That would look like a week plus. Um, and psychologically, it just gives you a bit of a break, but it's still controlled numbers. It's still tracking. It's still put something we want you to hit, or you're just going to fly off the handle. And once you come back to fat loss, again, we come down two, 300 calories, and off you go again. And there are no changes other than hopefully up here and you might feel a bit better in the gym you might form a bit better in the gym for a while um you might even look a bit better um aesthetically if you're lean enough because of the glycogen ramifications re uh, storage in your muscle mass um and also it's an argument to say that because of that you might find you have better sessions in the gym and again because of the added calories you have better sessions in the gym and it couldn't be a really nice thing to do for loads of reasons but in terms of are you then going to be able to diet on ha- higher calories or have a more effective fat loss phase thereafter no that's a myth mm-hmm. yeah i think it the rest or the break or the psychological break it, the main benefit is increased adherence after so you might think 
like for example let's say you're on 1800 calories but you've got diet and fatigue so you're not actually sticking to it consistently and then we put you on a diet break and then we have you diet again on 1800 calories you might be like oh my god I'm getting way better results on this maybe I reset my metabolism or something magic happened there and it didn't it's just increased adherence it's just this time you're actually sticking to the 1800 because you had a bit of a psychological break yeah Okay, we'd love to know your professional opinions on the weight loss injections that are trendy now. I know a few people who've been using them to quote unquote get skinny, but I'm trying to convince them to just better nutrition and exercise. Which which one is she talking about? Because there's a couple of different, is she talking about the insulin one? There's an insulin one. Yeah, there's there's like there's three or four different ones that are like all apparently in a roundabout way. <laughs> uh, can I age your fat loss? I only know in detail of one of them. The one is it the GPL one agonist or something? Yeah, yeah, that was the one that came out last. I'm year. hoping that no, there's nothing. It like I mean, taking insulin can put you in a coma. No, 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 no. It's not. It's to it's do like a mimetic. With, yeah. Yeah. It's, taking insulin but it's to do with, yeah it's to do, to do with um controlling it you go first let me find the one that i'm thinking. yeah so i actually think as an obesity treatment under the supervision of doctors for the specific person it can potentially be really useful and the reason i say that is that we don't all have the same hunger levels so some people do genuinely have this higher drive to eat and if it almost levels the playing field for some people and allows them to actually stick to a deficit which by the way is still the only way they will lose weight I think some people are like oh, I'll just take this jab and then I'll just keep eating in a surplus and I'll lose weight like that isn't what happens you you will just have lower hunger levels so you will eat less um I don't know the long-term side effects I don't know if it's actually been studied well enough to know the long-term side effects I do think it's quite scary and dangerous that it's like going to be sold in boots is what I've heard is um that, so that this is this isn't the one this is the one that one of our clients was on and i convinced her to come off it um yeah the azempic semaglutide one mm-hmm. do you know of that one is that the one you're talking yeah about? that's the the one that acts on like gpl1 pathway right and what do you think of that one um exactly what i just said yeah i think in the right conditions for the right person is very useful Emma, I think the so general the general like- population it's like not a good idea and if yeah. people think it's a quick fix like it isn't going to be let me have a look here Emma there are tons yeah I mean they probably do all work in similar ways yeah well, yeah they're marketed slightly differently or have a different patent or something there are some really horrible side effects as well, though. And so that's when, you know, Emma's talking about obesity and when it can be helpful and when it can actually um, benefit not only people, but, you know, society in terms of NHS and et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you really don't, if you're really not in that bracket, some of the side effects are quite scary um, and in- including things like tumors and like accelerated rate of tumor growth and things like that. And it's really quite scary when you read about now, everything comes with a side effect and, you know, everyone could be like, well, yeah, but you know, the downfalls of taking paracetamol X, Y, Z, but 
this is not that. This is a, this is like a luxury thing that you 100% not everybody needs. Um, but don't just- you think that, like, that's a good example, right? Of like, okay, like the downsides of paracetamol are there. So I wouldn't take them unless I was in pain, right? So yeah. it's like cost versus benefit. And then I think exactly as you just said, like the downsides of this, if you're not obese and it's not life threatening and you're not going to have like, I don't know, for some people, if that allows them to lose significant weight and like reduce their type two diabetes, that's life-changing. That's probably well worth any of the negative side effects. Maybe not any, but many of them. Whereas if you're like, oh, I'm a little bit overweight and you could absolutely do it via diet and exercise with the right support. And I think that's, that's what we get so much from clients is like, yeah, I've tried something world or yeah, I've tried this and this and this. But it's like, you haven't had the right support. That's the difference. That's the difference with like proper coaching support is now you can reach out if you're struggling versus just, oh, well, another diet that I failed on. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that, like I say, if you really, if if really needs mustn't, don't take it um, and and actually benefit your body in the multitude of ways that diet, <laughs> simple diet and exercise will do. Um, it's definitely a needs must um situation and I don't I I, just, I don't think that anybody who hasn't been prescribed it by their GP for a very good reason should be going anywhere near it could not agree more okay but then sadly like people will won't they yeah um okay Nikki hi Clemmer I think I came in as you were at the end of answering my question did we answer Nikki's question yes oh Okay, she says, I'll go back and listen later. But what I caught sounded helpful. We'll be staying on for another round so can nail this maintenance thing. I've had my period for three days now. So yes, it could be hormonal. Ah, yes, it sounds like we were right. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't thought what? about that. <laughs> Shock, we were right. But I would imagine the increase in hunger is more due to your period than to anything else. Yeah, and that weight spike, I mean, like I say, we expect to see a weight spike when you increase calories anyway. Again, from, as you noted, food volume, but also glycogen and therefore water storage, we expect to see that. But, and at 1.4 kg is a, is a spike in a four-day period. It's quite high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is unless you're also hormonal, in which case it's not high That's at all. I mean. Well, no, when, when I'm hormonal, I gain like three kg overnight. Like, <laughs> fine. Mad, isn't it? I've started mine's changed recently as well I've started getting like like um like a swollen lower step well I I guess it's like swollen ovaries I don't know (laughs) but like you can like actually see it yeah what in your in your luteal phase or when you're ovulating in your ovulation phase uh just before my period yeah that's really interesting and I said my symptoms change I haven't had a period since having Bodhi and I'm wondering if that's okay I mean I'm breastfeeding so that's why but a lot of people are breastfeeding and they get their period pretty much two months ago. <laughs> um, okay, Ollie, are there any plans this year to do an EC method talk at say Level Up, PerformX or IFS? No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, Clem doesn't do events. That end of the answer to that. I'm sure Emma will. You are, aren't you? Aren't you and Amelia doing something at um, the ifs thing yeah ifs yeah i'm doing performance as well nicely um you know me and uh oh, i can't even remember his name now oh well Who? uh stephen bartlett 
Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, nice. I think they've got some big names. With him? Or are you doing no, 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 no. We're literally talking about the same thing. I'll probably never meet him. I yeah, I'm like friends with um, Gabby Logan. I love Gabby. She's a good friend of mine. Yeah, she's talking at it. Oh, that's my girl. Um, See, why don't you come and talk at it? Well, they haven't asked me. I never get asked to do talks. We all know why. Yeah, but that's because you don't do that. I bet if I was like, hey, no, Chloe's interested, they'd be like, what? No. Well, nobody's asking me to do a talk. And for some some people there's a reason why for some people I have <laughs> I would never <laughs> yeah but you would um, at Performex and it's really, like, so you don't have to go far that's true they haven't asked me I mean but I would have to what when is it when's the date because I'll just come down and watch you guys talk yeah it's quite soon it's like March 15th or something I'll come down and see you I think James is on tour so I'm gonna have like no one <laughs> I'm gonna be living on my own with my baby looking for as much oh well I'm gonna come down the week before so I'll see you anyway fine Babu. Okay, um, Emma. Hi, everyone. Excited to make a live again. I'm finding my hands and wrists are struggling to hold the weights I'm using for Romanian deadlifts. Am I going too heavy? And are there any ways to help? Yes, get some wrist straps. And that's actually a really good sign because everyone should be failing with their grip strength before their hamstring strength. So it shows that you're pushing yourself. Yeah. Okay, Debbie. Eat your satiating food and get on with it. Don't hyperfixate. I love it. <laughs> okay. Um, is it Brownwin or Bronwyn? I think it's Bronwyn because there is no extra W that I added for no reason. Okay. When I think of the fat loss jabs and similar products, I just imagine the Ab Fab episode where she phones her doctor for the weight loss pill. Oh, I wish I had seen that because I love Ab Fab. <laughs> Fab's the absolute best. I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds amazing. Um, Ruth, think semaglutide. Semaglutide. (laughs) It's an extreme intervention for extreme circumstances. Doesn't help that the Kardashians are slyly promoting it. Apparently you feel awful when on it with constant nausea. Do you know what? Like, of course, constant nausea is going to cause weight loss. I know, of course. You could just take, I don't know, like, uh, start like taking cod liver oil start biting cod liver oil capsules oh. you're sick most of the time and you probably won't want to eat great weight loss tool just get yeah. pregnant <laughs> just get pregnant at the beginning and then it all goes horribly wrong um are the kardashians promoting it i haven't seen anything like that coming from them oh uh, i have i think chloe's doing yeah well come on guys that this is how we were talking about in the last show like taking responsibility i've actually had really good feedback on that little rant that we had which i was really pleasantly surprised about oh good okay right we're up to date on the live i'm literally doing house because i'm in the living room today in case you hadn't noticed i'm literally doing housework as we do the live oh, <laughs> right. so <laughs> what's in the photo behind you <clears throat> Oh, it's a slim Aaron's print. He's one of my favorite photographers. And he did a series called the Poolside series. And this is um, Hotel Ducat Eden Rock, which is really close to where my family have a villa in the south of France. And if you ever want to spend all your money in one day and hate yourself, go eat there. <laughs> is it really expensive? It's the most expensive place I've ever paid a bill for. Me and James are like, this is a once in a lifetime occurrence. But it is stunning. It's absolutely it's literally built into the rock. And then you always see like A-list models around this pool, like Kendall Jenner and Hayley Bieber. It's really fun, really fun. And there's always there's always a random hooker flowing around as well, <laughs> flowing around in the pool. 
um right okay back to pose my mouth is starting to really hurt okay this is the roof that I was reading thinking it was going to be the same one and then it wasn't and then I just missed the whole question (laughs) okay Ruth Suto pregnant Ruth hi ladies following on from the live on Tuesday talking about protein I know that to maximally stimulate MPS, you should have 20 grams per serving. But I also understand from some MPS is stimulated with smaller servings. A graph from EIQ is in my head. If you have a smaller serving, e.g. 12 to 15 grams, does this mean the time taken to return to baseline is shorter, i.e. three to four hours, and therefore, you can spike MPS again sooner. No, it's the opposite. Emma, I'm going to let you take that because of the EIQ reference, and I don't know what the graph is. Um, I don't know if it well. What do you think it would come back to baseline quicker if you had less protein? She's saying, "Oh, sorry, I thought she meant micro dosing between portions." Sorry. No. no. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I think she's just meaning like, say you had 12 grams instead of 20 grams. Period between protein doses. Yeah. Honestly, it's massively overthinking things. Like a better way to think of it is like proteins in a constant state of flux. If you time it between meals, it's probably way better. As you've said, like not hitting 20 grams doesn't mean you don't stimulate MPS. It just means you don't saturate the response of it. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't overthink the refractory period between protein doses too much well it would come back in a quicker amount of time but yeah the the whole thing it doesn't matter it's a moot point because you haven't done what you were meant to do in that time period anyway so then you kind of start from the beginning do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. does that make sense well I mean you'd get some benefit from the 12 grams yeah you would but if you wouldn't have maximally stimulated it yeah if you're looking at it from a timeline beneficiary (laughs) point of view um it will come back sooner but you haven't done with that time the the optimal thing you could have done so it's a point it kind of cancels it out no i mean i don't know this is how i'm interpreting the question i also just wanted to say thank you so much for this program i've always been into sport fitness and been very self-motivated often with aesthetic but as well as health motivations however I thought when I got pregnant but that I'd be one of those women who eats for two with without the aesthetic results there to keep me going. Having you in the background has helped me keep grounded and focused on health during my pregnancy. I'm getting my steps in for health, a healthy labor, and hopefully a good recovery. I'm eating my protein for a baby and to protect my muscle mass. And I'm loving my baby bunch bump, which I thought I would struggle with. Thank you. Oh, Ruth, that makes me sad because I'm not going to lie to you. I was a bit worried about you, which I think you picked up on in the beginning with some of your body image issues around getting pregnant. And actually, as like it's sunk in and as time's gone on and your pregnancy has progressed, you have completely sunk into it. And it's been lovely to watch and to coach and to see. And it's been a pleasure. So I'm glad that you felt like it's been a great thing that you've been here too. Oh, I love hearing that. And like, I mean, I think that just shows you as a coach throughout pregnancy as well. Like that's how you want everyone to approach pregnancy, isn't it? And it takes a lot, especially if you're coming in with underlying body image issues to change your mindset around that. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, how do you say uh, uh, Rati? Uh, Arty. A-A-R-T-Y. Arty. Okay. Um, so she's managed to tune in from her hospital bed. Hi, everyone. What was she having done? Do we know this? Is this a boob job? I don't know. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I think someone's um, having a boob job. Yeah. <laughs> Helen Hotel. Oh, no, wait. Helen, sorry. Love Hotel Ducat, but it's crazy expensive. Came home from there with the worst self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't blame you. Okay, should we do one more? Yeah. Oh god, it's four. Oh god, I thought we were going till half past. I was like bedding in. Okay, Suzanne Conlin. Hello, when doing stiff-legged deadlifts, I only really feel them in my right leg. Should I switch to single leg so I can ensure that my left leg gets hit? Thank you. No, no, it's a form issue, and I'd much rather that you fix it <laughs> before switching to stiff leg, uh, single leg. Sorry. Um. Typically, it'll be, I think, about where your force is going through your feet. Um, I want you to um, really stand up. You don't need to do anything crazy, but just start, do some um, single leg balance warm-ups um, and like kind of like pressure point warm-ups before your lift. So stand up on one leg and I want you to really focus on, keep your eyes open and fixate on a point on your foot tripod. So your big toe, your little toe, your heel, driving your weight into the ground and then switch and do it on the other leg. And also it might be a lot to do with ankle um, stabilization as well. So actually starting to practice, keeping your balance on one leg, forcing your power through that tripod in your feet and ankle, st and ankle um, stabilization. And as you start to get better with that, close your eyes and you will immediately find that on the leg where you don't feel it, you can't keep your balance quite quickly. And on the leg where you do feel it, you're, you're stronger in your balance. This in and of itself is indicative of it being a form issue. And once you start to really focus on those pointers and your ankle stabilization and your and your foot tripod um, equating that force going down through both of your feet and not just one of them, you'll feel it in both legs. It's just a form fixture thing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, one other thing I was going to say on that which is quite a unique situation although I imagine most people have it like say you used to play football or like me you used to hurdle I have one leg that is significantly more flexible like my right leg which was my lead leg is way like the hamstring is way more flexible than my left leg because it was always used to yeah doing that movement and then I imagine like playing football would be the same if you always kick with your right leg your hamstring's probably more flexible on that. So it could be that you, you'll definitely feel it more in your less flexible leg. Doesn't mean that you're not working that muscle though. Yeah, I feel like Emma's completely right. And, and it's, it's, it's genetic as well. Everybody's got one thing stronger than the other, but you should, even if you feel it more in one leg or you're stronger in one leg, the fact that you're not feeling it at all in the other leg means you're not, there's something off with your stabilizing lower body points um also emma i love that can you please upload a photo of you hurdling it's so cool all right yeah i'm so <laughs> jealous you're just so cool um okay that was really good really good questions today i enjoyed that um we will see you guys again next week have a lovely weekend and yeah <laughs>